The following episode and message is sponsored by Mead Johnson Nutrition. In a world that is ever-evolving, your compassion never fades. Through all the triumphs and most difficult days, you never give up. You work tirelessly to make sure the most vulnerable babies receive the nutrition and care they need to grow and develop. You help set the stage for families on how to care for their premature newborns so when they go home, everyone has the resources they need to thrive. You may consider it just doing your job, but to the babies that need you the most, you are their greatest heroes. From all of us in Infamil, thank you. Hi, and welcome to NANCAST. I'm Jill, your host. The incidence of neonatal abstinence syndrome, or neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome, has quintupled over the last decade and rates are still rising. These infants often require prolonged hospital stays, causing increased health care costs. I'm sure every NICU nurse has felt the struggle and challenge when caring for this population. What is most frustrating is that the treatment of NAS varies considerably across NICUs. Typically, the most used care model is the Finnegan Neonatal Abstinence Scoring System. This model relies on a subjective assessment and provides a simplified approach to assessing and caring for infants and families coping with NAS. But maybe it's a time to change our approach to NAS. Recently, a new model called Eat Sleep Console has been developed that focuses on the comfort and care of these infants by utilizing non-pharmacological methods and including family-centered care involvement in the treatment of the infant. We need to learn to treat the infant rather than relying on the Finnegan score. How exactly do we treat NAS infants this way? How effective is this model? How do we build this partnership with the families? To help answer these questions and bring to light the effectiveness of Eat Sleep Console, it is my pleasure to welcome Stacy Bodden. Stacy is actively involved in the Neonatal Abstinence Awareness Initiative for Expected Moms and Newborns. She provides education to mothers and other caregivers prenatally about narcotic exposure and expectations for the newborn postnatal course. Let's get right into it. Hi, Stacy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I know there's a lot of questions and um, kind of some fear regarding Eat, Sleep, Console. And why um, are we changing our approach for these babies from the Finnegan scoring system and the model of care towards Eat, Sleep, Console? So the Finnegan scoring, for those of you that know what that is, is uh, essentially scoring babies going through neonatal abstinence syndrome. That's a term that we have used for several years, and now it's sort of switching over to neonatal opioid syndrome, just because there's so many different types of um, opioids that you can be addicted to as a newborn, and most people can relate to that term a little bit easier. They know what an opioid is. As far as why we're switching from the Finnegan to Eat, Sleep, Console is because A lot of the studies were done in the 1980s uh, by Loretta Finnegan, Dr. Loretta Finnegan, who developed the Finnegan scoring tool. And uh, recent studies are sort of questioning the validity of the Finnegan scoring tool because it's based on many psychometric properties, mainly scoring for signs and symptoms of opioid withdrawal and treating based on numbers. Whereas Eat, Sleep, Console is 
more of a function-based focus assessment and you're assessing the now's infant, looking at their ability to eat, sleep, and be comforted. So you say it's a tool um, and, you know, we're switching um, the treatment towards the infant rather than we're treating a score. And I think a lot of nurses get so hung up on the Finnegan score. and We tend to be a little bit more hypervigilant, like, oh, that was four sneezes. That, that's a point. Or, you know, they only slept this long. Um, what is the difference between the Eat Sleep Console and the Finnegan scoring system? So there's several changes. I'm going to go through the way that the tool is works as far as evaluating eat, sleep, and console because it's actually very simple and I find it easier. I've been using it for the past two years at our facility and I find it a lot easier to use this tool because it's it's easy to know when a baby eats, when a baby sleeps, and when a baby is consoled. It's very different when you use the Finnegan tool and one nurse may say they have a hyperactive moral reflex that's mild, moderate, or severe, whereas the next nurse may score it completely different. And so I think as far as ease of scoring, it's a lot easier because I think everyone knows what it means when a baby sleeps, eats, and is consoled. But there's specific definitions around what eat, sleep, console is. So as an example, as far as the evaluation tool for eat, sleep, console itself, is that like in the old way, the Finnegan withdrawal scale would quantify the level of symptoms in an infant experiencing withdrawal. Whereas now you're evaluating their ability to eat, sleep, and be consoled. Um, as far as eating, a baby um, under the definition of eating well means that they can take a bottle well within 30 minutes and they don't have significant spit-ups, and they're not having a hard time sucking on the bottle. That's what eat is. Then console means that you're able to console the baby fairly easily within 10 minutes. And that means you pick the baby up, you give it a pacifier, you console the baby within 10 minutes. And if it's longer than that, then you would score for that. And the scoring is just a yes or a no for either each of these categories. And then sleeping, that is just, can the baby sleep between feedings for a short period of time, you know, greater than an hour. And if they can't do that, then you would give them a no. So it's fairly straightforward as far as the scoring is concerned. So they're given points to each, you know, how well they consoled, how well they ate, and you know, how well they were able to sleep. Is that how it works? So, or... no, so there, it's it's not like the Finnegan where you're given a number. It's either a yes or a no. So for eating, either you breastfeed or bottle feed well, or you don't. And that's what you score. If you... See, that's good. It's not, it's not as, um, you know, it's a lot less subjective. It's either yes or no. You don't have to have that gray area. You know, did they sleep three hours? Did they only sleep two hours? And, and that's how you drive that score. So I, I like that it's a lot less subjective and it's more on the, on the baby's schedule as opposed to what my schedule is as the nurse and what the Finnegan score schedule says. You know, oh, it's three hours. Oh, it's four hours. We need to, we need to score you. Especially since for the 
Finnegan scoring too, you have to wake a baby up to do the Finnegan scoring every three to four hours, depending on what, or two hours, depending on what your protocol is. And with Eat, Sleep, Console, they encourage you not to do that. I mean, you truly are evaluating the baby when they're hungry. You're not, yes, you want to do it every three to four hours because that's typically when a baby eats. But it's it's very different as far as the points in between. And when you're changing shifts from one horse to the next, you know, I mean, fairly easily if they ate, if they slept or if they're consoled. So a lot of us are familiar with the treatment plan for the Finnegan scoring model of care, but how about for the eat, sleep, console model of care? How, how do we treat those babies? So the babies with eat, sleep, console um, are treated a little bit differently. You initiate treatment at birth using the routine baby care and strong family or parent involvement to support the infants through their withdrawal process. So the old way was that you'd have to quantify it. And many times when you got to a certain score, the babies would be automatically brought into the nursery or the NICU because they were having increased symptoms. That's not what you want to do with Eat, Sleep, and Console. Now, because you're clinically evaluating it and you want the parents to be a part of that process or the family that's taking care of the baby, you want to make sure that they're present and you're having more of a, of a huddle when you're talking about possibly treating the baby. So the old way, as far as treatment, once we got to a certain score with the Finnegan, we decided we just had to start treating. Whereas now you're treating, but it's based off yeses and nos. So for instance, if you have a baby that you're scoring and the nurse says that no, the infant cannot feed well, and it can be a no to any one of the questions, they can't eat well, they can't sleep well, they can't be consoled, then you want to try different things like feeding them if it's if, if you feel like they're hungry and maybe that was the issue, swaddling them, holding them. And we'll talk later a little bit more about the five S's that are really important when caring for these babies and some non-pharmacological treatments you can use. Um, low stimulation environment. And then, of course, the parents, because the child knows the parents and have been listening to them for nine months in the womb. So they're a critical part versus the nurse just taking them in a nursery to somebody that they don't know. And they're probably not going to settle for as easy. And once you have two consecutive ESC scores of no, that's when they need to notify the provider. Because at that point, that's when you need to intervene. And with Eat, Sleep, Console, you can do it two different ways. Some facilities will do um, a scheduled dose of morphine every three to four hours and gradually wean. At our facility, we've chosen to give um, as-needed PRN doses of morphine at 0.04 milligrams per kilo per dose in the parent's room without a cardiac respiratory monitor, which is a huge change as well from when we did the, the Finnegan scoring. And you can do that up to three times in a 24-hour period, as well as your non-pharmacological treatment, but it really minimizes that separation between the parents. After that Let's say you've given your three doses of morphine that the baby's needed um, within a 24-hour period. Then if you continue to have no's on the scoring, 
then you really need to consider doing scheduled morphine. At that same dose, the 0.04 milligrams per kilo every three hours. So are these babies typically still in a well-baby nursery or do they still get monitored um, in like a special care nursery or in a NICU setting? So at our facility, which is a small community hospital, and we have about five to 700 deliveries a year, we monitor all them in the room because especially with COVID now, we're not, I mean, we don't want them outside and mixing with a bunch of people, but also it's so important that they're with the parents because the parents can calm them so much better than anyone else we've found throughout the past couple of years that we do truly try to keep them together as much as possible. The only time they'd have to be on a continuous, you know, CRM monitor is if they're doing scheduled morphine, then it's definitely recommended. And then we would bring the baby in the nursery. So I, I feel that the best part of eat, sleep, control, console is the, you know, that partnership that you have with the parents and, and the family. Um, you know, I think it's really important, especially you know, these moms are struggling with other issues besides just, you know, having their baby and now their baby's in the NICU and they're struggling themselves with their own um, addiction issues or, you know, sobriety. Um, so I think it's good to give those parents the power and feeling like they are truly, you know, contributing to their child's, um, you know, well-being and helping them get better. Um, and I, I think that makes a really nice partnership and, and allows these moms to feel um, empowered and not feel that they're being judged or stigmatized, which I think sometimes that's how they feel with, you know, our typical Finnegan scoring system, because they look at it as, oh, these nurses, they score my baby high. Um, and, and they get so focused on the score where I think, you know, eat, sleep, console really lets them um, be an active participant um, in their baby's care. Absolutely. And what I found too, is that, right, we're not focusing on a score. We're not getting angry at certain nurses for giving a higher score, you know, because they would, of course, say that, or they would say, well, I don't agree with that. And then that's difficult because the nurse is the one that has the education behind that, but yet they are looking at their baby and what they see may be different than what the nurse sees. Um, and with Eat, Sleep, Console, I have I have yet to have a parent. And so I've had, I've treated a total of, I think it's 10 to 12 babies now with Eat, Sleep, Console over the past two years. Um, and what they will always say to me is that they recognize that something is wrong and that their baby is in discomfort and we have to do something to help them. And that's more their decision and my decision, but they definitely recognize it because when they're with a baby 24-7 and it does not stop crying and it cannot eat and it's throwing up and it cannot stop tremoring even, it scares them. Whereas before we were taking that away from them and they didn't see what we saw Therefore, they didn't agree with the scoring. And now they watch it. Many of them have been through withdrawal and they don't, they, they, they know what that's like and they know how awful it is and they don't want that for their infant. Yeah. And I think, you know, by allowing them to be part of the care, um, you know, they're there. They're, like you said, they're, they're witnessing it. Um, and it's not, you know, we're not punishing their babies. Like they, you know, they tend to feel like that. And then they feel like they're kind of alienated from care. So maybe they don't visit as much or they don't spend that really much needed bonding time with their baby. So, you know, I think that's great. But I think a lot of people have fears, NICU nurses, of having these parents at the bedside 24-7 when they're also going through their own treatment. Um, 
Do you find any, you know, challenges or roadblocks with that um, as far as um, safety of the baby um, when we have parents, you know, going through withdrawal themselves, caring for these babies? So we certainly have parents that have been either on street drugs and now they're going through withdrawal, which they're trying to manage, which can be very difficult in that situation. Um, we encourage them to take breaks. So the nurses will bring them into the nursery and give them a break. Or if it's at night and they've been up for several nights because their baby truly does not sleep well, then they certainly will. Um, they certainly will let us take them and they are more than happy to sleep. And we've never had a situation where they're unwilling to take their baby back. I think they are much more willing to stay. Now, it also depends on your facility. We're very fortunate in that our hospital has a protocol where moms are allowed to stay for up to five nights in a row as a complimentary stay. And that's five nights from the time that they get discharged. So our moms can stay up to one full week without having to leave. And that's huge because for a lot of them, transportation is an issue or they need a spot to put their stuff so that way they can come back and forth. And that allows for that time. And either with Eat, Sleep, Console, either they're there just during the time that the baby needs to be observed and then they leave because if they get a couple doses of morphine, they can still go home in a timely fashion versus the two, three, four week to month long stay that they used to have. Cause we're not, we're not doing it the same way anymore. Um, versus, um, having to, you know, come and then put their stuff down. It, it just allows for that flexibility. It's just, I think a lot of institutions don't necessarily have that capability and that makes it a lot more difficult. Yeah. Especially the open pod, um, set up NICUs, um, some delivering hospitals don't have the ability to have parents, you know, unfortunately stay that long. Um, and that does put a, a lot of, um, you know, workload on the nursery, uh, well, baby nursery nurses as well. But, you know, I think that if hospitals can see the value in eat, sleep, console, and how it does decrease the length of stay, right, and then it probably ultimately decreases uh, healthcare costs. So I think that would be something that, you know, that would be a positive thing. Uh, for hospitals and administrators. Absolutely. And because they don't have to be on a CRM monitor, I mean, you're saving a lot of costs with NICUs. I mean, if you don't have to bring a baby to a NICU and you don't have to charge for all that monitoring and just even the staff, it's huge compared to a baby being in a nursery and just being able to observe them in just a normal newborn setting. I mean, it, because with the babies that we've had, we have never had a baby stay longer than seven days thus far in the past two wow. years. And that's, that's really a new record. I mean, we don't have that. We didn't have that happen. The shortest stay we'd have prior to this was um, two weeks to three months. Uh, and this is, this is moms who have been on heroin. This is moms who have been on Xanax or any other type of, you know, um, you know, longer acting opioid, um, buprenorphine, methadone, it doesn't matter. Whereas before you could definitely tell, like if you had a baby who was on methadone, they likely would withdraw a lot longer. If you had a baby on buprenorphine or Suboxone, you wouldn't have a baby that would withdraw as long as methadone. Um, so you can definitely tell that, yeah, it's a little longer still, but it is not to the extent of what we were seeing before, which is a huge cost savings for the healthcare system in general. Exactly. And I know all this, a lot of the studies that are emerging now um, that are 
you know, from Eat, Sleep, Console, NICUs throughout the country, a lot of them are seeing these positive um, outcomes. And, you know, they're doing Eat, Sleep, Console in pod units too, not just private room, NICUs and other, um, you know, well baby nurseries as well. So, you know, it, it can be utilized in all areas. And I think it's going to be something that will be explored more considering all the positive outcomes that we're finding in these research studies. Absolutely. So we're talking about parent involvement and you mentioned something about the five S's. So what are these five S's to help soothe these patients? So before treating them with a dose of morphine, which is, which is what you would use if the child is having um, two no's in a row, you first want to try the five S's for soothing a baby. You want to swaddle them. You want to put them in the sideline or stomach position. Of course, while they're awake and being around them, you want to shush them just in their ear, actually. Uh, Swing them. So whether you just swing them yourself with rocking or whether you are putting them in an actual swing, and then you want them to allow them to suck. So typically on a pacifier, if you don't have one, just on a gloved finger. Um, a lot of the information we've gotten from the five S's is in the book called The Happiest Baby on the Block by Dr. Harvey Harvey Karp. Um, because there's just a lot of good techniques and I've had parents buy these books and they say, wow, this is so great. And you can use it with any infant, whether it's a now's baby or whether it's a typical, you know, a, a baby who's going through some withdrawal, but essentially, you know, you want to try the five S's and if you're unable to console the infant in 10 minutes or less, then that's when you would want to talk to the parents and consult the provider and decide, okay, do we need to treat if this is our second no in a row? How do you go about teaching the parents about eat, sleep, console and different techniques that they can use as well as the nurses? So at our facility, we developed a program in which we have a screening tool. It's called a prenatal screening tool. And uh, it's actually something that I developed in graduate school. And it's a 10-page questionnaire that asks questions that are kind of included a little bit in the CAGE questionnaire for alcohol and drug abuse that you would give to an adult patient along with the specific substances they can check off that they're using. We give this out prenatally at their first OB visit. Then we do it during their second trimester and once during their third trimester. We also give it out at any hospital stay, whether it's observation or actually ready to deliver. And those are put into my in-basket in my Epic that I have, my electronic medical health record. And I see that they're positive. And then I therefore try to set up a meeting with the parents myself because I work in a pediatric clinic. I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner and I work in a a primary care clinic. And so I see their infants after birth and in the hospital and I have access to seeing them beforehand. So I'll schedule a consult with them. It's completely free. I don't charge for it. It's 30 minutes in which I discuss with them what Eat Sleep Console is. I have handouts I give them. I explain to them what it is because a lot of them are either used to the Finnegan scoring tool and they have a lot of fears about it, or they'll talk about how they didn't like it. They don't like the nurses and they'll talk a lot about the scoring. Whereas I try to completely shift the focus on what the difference is. 
which of course they're pretty excited about because they like that they can stay with their babies and they don't have to leave. They also like that the average stay is so much shorter compared to maybe what their other baby had experienced. Um, I also have a chance to then explain how treatment works, when they need a monitor, when they don't. Sometimes I'll try to give them a tour of our facility. It kind of depends how much time we have and that sort of thing. And then we also will do, I'll give them like a resource folder that I put together. And then we also talk about community resources. Do you need WIC? Do you need a program called Early Head Start we offer? Do you need Head Start for any of your other children? Do you have housing? Do you have transportation? And just going through those types of services, just seeing if there's anything. Do they need treatment? Do do they need to be enrolled in treatment? Do they, you know, anything that they have, do they have a support system? Don't they? Because then that information gets routed to the pediatric provider that they choose along with the hospital staff so that they are aware when this patient will deliver and sort of what the history is so that everyone is really aware of what's going on and what services have been offered because that also helps when they're there, what's available, what have we offered, um, what did they enroll in or what they didn't they. And then we go over the whole thing again and we get parents to be a less frustrated with the system and they seem to know something about it versus showing up and saying, no one ever told me my baby could be addicted to this and withdraw from this. Nobody ever told me that I was going to have a longer length of stay. And nobody told me that my baby could end up being here for forever and I wouldn't be able to help. So it's really increased our patient satisfaction specifically with this population. And they tend to trust us a lot more because they feel like they're better prepared for after when their babies are born and they, they have that time to answer, ask a lot of questions. Yeah, that's amazing because, you know, they, they have difficulties coping with a lot and then, you know, having to have your baby, you know, in the hospital situation, I I can't imagine the stress that they're having. So I think that's a wonderful service to offer them, you know, prenatally to have this information because it's so difficult when, you know, you get it, uh, now's baby admitted to your unit and you had no idea. Um, you never met the family before you never met the mom and, you know, you're starting from square one. Um, and I, I think, you know, giving them the opportunity to, to have things set up prior to, you know, being admitted really sets them up for success. And I'm sure it totally helps with outcomes, you know, as well. Um, even after, you know, their discharge to have those services set up and, and available and know they're available to them. Right. And they definitely um, like meeting us. I mean, there's some where they've never met a pediatric provider, and this is a really sensitive topic. And if you can sort of bond with them a little bit after they have the baby, they're a lot more likely to trust your decision and just partner with you a little bit more. And so that's something else we found to be really effective with doing prenatal counseling. Although, yes, there's not reimbursement for it. I mean, we've never gotten reimbursed for it, but we feel like we don't have that many babies. I mean, and and then you have to identify them because if you don't know who's coming into your clinic with it, I mean, unless they fully disclose, which many times does not happen, um, it's just it's just a, a a nice way so that throughout the entire nine months of their pregnancy, you can encourage them to do treatment or counseling if they haven't, because no mom wants to give birth to a baby that's withdrawing and is proud of it. Every every mom I have ever met feels guilty, feels ashamed, and feels like they're judged by everybody. And they want somebody to hear them and they want somebody to help them. 
Yeah, and I think your program and along with the eat, sleep, console method, um, I think that, you know, takes away that adversarial effect of, you know, the Finnegan scoring system that they feel. Um, it takes away the stigma because they're a part of the care and we're trusting them to, to be a part of the team. Um, and we want their voices heard. I, I think a lot of times, you know, with the Finnegan score, parents, you know, yes, they complain to the nurses. Why did you score that way? Why did you do this? But I don't, I feel like it's an us versus them um, situation. So I, you know, I think when you bring them in early and, and explain to them what's going on and, and have them be um, a member of the team, it, it really does help. Right. And I feel like when, when we're supporting the parents and teaching them how to care for this more challenging infant, we have so many more opportunities to prepare them for the care at home where their support might not be as great. And the nurses just spend so much one-on-one time with them that besides doing vital signs and maybe showing them how to swallow, swaddle or how to soothe, they just, they just need a lot of reassurance, especially when the baby is crying and just really upset. You know, if the mom's going through withdrawal or if she's worried about her other two kids at home, it is so hard. And that's something else we stress when we do our prenatal visits. I always ask if there's another support system because with COVID, I know it's very difficult, but we've always allowed two people to have a band. So, you know, we say, okay, who's going to be your support? Is it going to be grandma? Is it going to be your cousin, your sister? Is it going to be your boyfriend, the father? Who is it? Dad, who's it going to be? Because then that person can also be present if mom has to run home. I mean, if mom's been discharged, she needs to get out of the hospital because the hospital in those four walls in that tiny room can be really stressful. And just to get out, we can have somebody else there who can also do the same thing. Somebody that's likely going to be helping her care for the baby anyways when it goes home. That's good. And you get them on board with the care and that you teach them how you know, the five S's and, you know, the proper way to soothe their baby and, and to help them through the challenges that lie ahead. Right. So that's great. Mm-hmm. So with our NALS babies that we care for, feeding can always be a challenge. Um, you know, we're constantly worried about weight gain, um, how much they're taking, breastfeeding versus increasing calories and in formula. Um, is there any new way or a new approach to nutrition and teaching parents about feeding? Yes. So with the Finnegan scoring tool, we used to focus on with nutrition, monitoring their weight trends. We consider increasing the infant's calories if we noticed excessive weight loss or if poor weight gain was charted. With using Eat, Sleep, Console, the new thought is that we have now a lower threshold for increasing calories. So many times if I notice that we're trending downward fairly quickly as far as weight loss goes, then I will just increase the child to 22 calorie formula or just breast milk, fortify it. Because I know that the baby is going to, with the withdrawal symptoms and how they're persistent, they are going to burn a lot of calories and they're just going to lose a lot of weight. So waiting until it's excessive, just do it right away so that you can minimize the amount of weight that they lose Also, I'm definitely much more quick to supplement with breastfeeding. So I certainly want them to breastfeed. I want them to have that bonding experience. Of course, that kind of depends on what 
the mom is using. If it's prescribed, they can breastfeed. If it's not prescribed, that's something we discourage. Or if they're using a lot of marijuana, just because study shows that that can have an adverse effect on the baby's brain development and street drugs. We just don't know what else is mixed in there with that. And then we have them supplement with the breastfeeding. So I'll say, okay, put the baby to breast for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, because we don't want them to burn too many calories and then go ahead and give them a formula supplement just so that they are gaining and getting enough volume, especially in those first two to three days before the mom's breast milk comes in. And then we also encourage and expect frequent feedings from these babies and larger feeding volumes. So I will typically always do a feeding goal, especially on day two or three, which is typically when this weight loss is noticed and the trend is definitely occurring downward that we'll talk about, um, different things versus waiting quite a long time before we then have to suddenly correct it. And the parents are sort of caught off guard and kind of maybe frustrated and feel disappointed that the baby's not. So I think everybody is familiar with the Yale New Haven study on Eat, Sleep, Console and the outcomes and everything that they had found using Eat, Sleep and Console. But can you discuss um, results and outcomes using Eat, Sleep, Console compared to using the Finnegan scoring system? Sure. So as far as Eat, Sleep, Console, uh, much of the reason why our facility and many others are choosing to use this approach versus the Finnegan scoring system is that using Eat, Sleep, Console, the approach limits as far as pharmacological treatment are, are considerably less. So with Finnegan, we'd be treating infants pretty much 98% of the time with some type of pharmacological treatment compared to 12% of infants now that we're seeing um, and that Dr. Grossman saw in his study who needed actual pharmacological treatment with Eat, Sleep, Console. And it certainly led to reductions in length of stay due to this. So going from using the Finnegan scoring tool where infants were there on an average of 22 and a half days down to 5.9 days in his study, which is which is significant as far as hospital costs and just time away from the parents at their home and the ability to have to come back and forth to care for their babies. So that was his large-scale study um, at Yale New Haven. But what about your study and your findings? So we've been tracking our results since May of 2009 when we implemented the prenatal screening tool. And what we found at our community hospital facility is that from 2010 to 2017, our average um, length of stay for babies, and this was, of course, we implemented the Finnegan scoring tool around 2016, 2017. Um, I believe it was... Actually, I believe it was June of 2017 where we implemented our our Eat, Sleep, Console. But essentially, our average length of stay was about 20 days. Uh, we ranged anywhere from 12 days at the very least up to 27.4 days within that th- those years, within that um, seven-year time period. And when we, as far as look at, you know, how many babies we are treating with morphine. I mean, almost every baby we observed for NAS, it was called at the time, was treated. I mean, 98% of our babies were also treated with with some sort of pharmacological treatment. Now, since we've implemented Eat, Sleep, Console, 
we have decreased our length of stay considerably. I mean, we went from that average of, you know, 20 days or so down to the longest length of stay we've had yet is 12 days. And that was just observing babies. I mean, treatment in and of itself is 25%. So, I mean, we went from having this huge number of babies being treated to just almost none. And when I say treated, I mean a dose of PRN morphine. I don't even mean scheduled dosing. We have yet in the past, you know, two and a half years to have a child actually require scheduled morphine dosing with using Eat Sleep Console. Wow, those are phenomenal results. Um, and it really shows that using a model that focuses more on treating the infant than a score as like the Finnegan model really does have positive outcomes and, and you know, ultimately decreases length of stay, decreases healthcare costs, even decreases, like you found, medication use. So, you know, these babies are thriving because of all of the work that, you know, you've done with Eat, Sleep, and Console. Absolutely. We feel the same way. Thank you so much, Stacy, for joining us today and really answering our questions and our concerns on Eat, Sleep, Console and showing us how empowering it can be to our moms. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a pleasure joining you today. I would like to thank our sponsor, Mead Johnson. This podcast would not be possible without their support. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing now. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day.